This is LifeSpeak, a podcast about well-being, mental health, and building resilience through knowledge. Here's Marianne Weisenthal. I'm speaking today with performance expert, sports psychology consultant, George Mumford. Since 1989, he's been honing his gentle but hugely impactful mindfulness techniques with people from locker rooms to boardrooms, prisons to Ivy League schools. George has been called a performance whisperer who coaxes and teases to unlock inner greatness. Basketball player Michael Jordan credits George with transforming his on-court leadership, helping the Chicago Bulls to achieve three out of their six NBA championships. He's also helped turn around the games of Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, not to mention countless other NBA players, Olympians, executives, and artists. George Mumford's 2015 book, The Mindful Athlete, Secrets to Pure Performance, is a blueprint for mindfulness to improve performance. His new book is called Unlocked, Embrace Your Greatness, Find the Flow, Discover Success, and he joins me today from Newton, Massachusetts. George, welcome to the LifeSpeak podcast. Thank you, Marianne. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm excited to be here. Wow. Well, first of all, you've lived many lives, <laughs> and we're going to talk more about those in a minute. But first, I want to read a quote from your book. When we are unlocked and in touch with the power within us, in touch with our true selves, we move in effortless synchronicity with the greater whole. Life lives in us and through us. What does it mean to be unlocked? Be unlocked means to be free to express yourself. And I know people talk about and know what, a, what being in the zone or being in flow looks like. And you might say when someone is performing in an effortless fashion, it's because they're not being impeded or blocked. Or I would say their potential is being able to be expressed without being hindered. And it could be a momentary being unlocked or it could be a sustained period like being in flow. But this ability to actually just to, to be sincere with our activity, with our speech, word and actions in a way that it feels effortless and it feels like a flow is an ease and a grace that that's there. And I, I think about because uh, I've been. I wrote the book, but then reflecting on it, what does it mean to be unlocked? Unlocked is the opposite of being locked or or being in, you know, inhibited or not being able, not just physically, but mentally or emotionally, not being able to be in the moment and to be able to express our intention in a way where it where it just it flows. It's almost like it just happens. You've coached some of the world's best athletes. But what can us regular people learn from the way pro athletes work to unlock themselves? So my book, The Mindful Athlete, there's a, there's a sentence in there where I say, to be a mindful athlete, you have to be a mindful person. And so it's really about developing qualities of being or habits of mind or being that allows us to be clear with what, we, what our intention is and in being able to express that in a way where we actually do what we said we're going to do. We, we do what we intended to do. So for, for everybody, everybody starts off the same way. We're all equal in the sense that we were born with our own uniqueness and we have potentiality. 
And so what we're really talking about is unlocking potential, unlocking our God-given, or however you want to say it, hidden talents that we have. And so whether you're an athlete or not, you've, you have these birth gifts that you were given. I call it the, uh, the masterpiece. Uh, some people might call it the divine spark, the Buddha consciousness or the Christ consciousness or whatever name you want to give it. But there's a potentiality inside of all of us that can be developed, that we can access, but it can only be accessed by us. It's an inside job. And to the degree, to the degree that we are able to access it and express it, the quality of our lives will be enhanced. So we'll be able to live more fully and more creatively when we can unlock, when we, when we take ownership of that potentiality, or I say the, the greatness within, or embracing the greatness within when we can embrace it and then we can we can move through it. We can let that life move through us. You said that for many of us, our thinking process gets in the way of becoming unlocked and it, it can sometimes be painful. So what can we do to mitigate this? It's realizing we become what we think about. So there's a book by Earl Nightingale written years ago, but it's called Greatest Secret. And do you know what the greatest secret is? We become what we think about all day long. So it's a, about understanding there's wholesome thoughts or there's thoughts that lead to peace, understanding, compassion. And then there's thoughts that, that put it, keep us in the survival mode, fight, flight, or freeze. The, the negative self-talk, for instance, it can not only uh, hamper our ability to feel confident, but it hinders our ability to see clearly. So in my book, The Mindful Athlete, I talk about the, the hindrances, these negative emotions that will hinder our ability to see clearly and to be in a moment. And so one such hindrance is fear. Another one is anxiety. And when fear and anxiety is pre- are present, or either, you know, when fear is present, we go into fight, flight, or freeze. So we actually lock down. We, are, we actually go into either fighting or fleeing or freezing, where, you know, praying when we freeze. So the idea is to notice that, that we, we have the capacity to do that. And there's a way of, I talk about creating space between stimulus and response. I talk about whether we're feeding the fair wolf or the love wolf. And the fair wolf is that the glass half empty and we, we, we're recoiling and, you know, the, the heart sets, you can see it, the chest gets tight and, and you can't even breathe. So they call it, sometimes they refer to people not being able to perform as choking. What they're really saying is the potentiality, the, the breath, the life is being choked. And so the idea is to be, do the opposite, but to be able to understand Okay, how how might I be thinking, feeling, behaving? I call it self-regulation. Well, it's called self-regulation. I can regulate my thoughts, feelings, behaviors, but I can also regulate how I interpret my experience. And so there's a lot we can do, but we have these habits of mind. We have these ways of being that we go negative or we go to reactivity instead of proactivity or responding to things by actually creating space between stimulus and response. And in that space, we have the freedom and power to choose. So we need to understand our relationships to our thoughts, our feelings, and our behaviors. Then once we do that, now we have, we have, you go from self, self-awareness, self uh, of course, we do self-reflection, but self-awareness, self-regulation, 
which means that we can regulate our thoughts. And this is interesting because when I got into this, I had, you know, when I got into recovery, I had chronic pain. And that's when I started learning about the mind-body process and the fact that our experience has a lot to do with our intention and our attention. If you want to get into the collapse of the wave function, there's these waves of possibilities. But with intention, with attention, uh, we, we can transform our experience and ourselves. You say that it requires training. What do you mean by training? I mean, developing wholesome habits, understanding there's some thoughts that are conducive to the being in the moment, the seeing clearly, so that we can be more loving, more compassionate, more, you know, make wise choices. Even when we make mistakes, we can recorrect and change. So that's what I mean. I mean, but we have this, once again, this is part of our potentiality. We have this ability to step back and observe experience in a way where we can observe what's happening uncritically or mindfully so that we're just learning. So I say you can be in survival mode or growth mode or learning mode and your mood has, your mind has to be in the mood to learn. But it's about learning life's lessons and learning how to be present and to be fully engaged and fully deployed. So that's what it comes down to. I want to get a little bit more into this in a moment, but I, I know for you, you know, it wasn't always this way. You had a pretty challenging childhood. You described growing up as, quote, a skinny little black boy from Boston covered in sticky pink splotches and anti-itch cream. You came from a really big family, you had a lot of siblings. You know, it was tough. You, you grew up in a dangerous neighborhood. Your father was abusive, alcoholic. Your mother worked really hard to support the whole family, and, and you describe often being alone. How do you think your childhood experience impacted the trajectory of your life and your work? It's impacted it quite a bit. Joseph Campbell in The Power of Myth, he said, our life is where our pain is. And so I think life is, is at least from my experience, is, you know, you get lessons and, you know, there's suffering. There's no way of getting around that. There's going to be pain, and the idea is how to relate to the pain in a way that that frees that frees us. So for me, I went through all of that, and now I see that it was just my conditioning, and and it was how I was reacting to situations. I had a lot of stomach issues, which we know it uh, GI problems or stomach problems that have to have to do with being under stress. And so for me, being really sensitive, being an empath, and being able to pick up people's feelings. I didn't know what to do with them. So I went inside, you know, fight, flight or freeze. I, 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 you know, I fled to my inner life, but all of that is, you know, like I wouldn't be here if I didn't have chronic pain. So even though I had substance abuse, uh, the chronic pain, I had to learn how to deal with my pain in a way because I couldn't really take pain meds like other people do because, you know, I was, in recovery from addiction to pain meds. That's what got, got me started in that in the first place. So I had to figure out, I had to, you know, I had to learn how to deal with experience. Or I would say, I would say all this time, I've been moving towards higher and higher levels of wellness, being able to be proactive and be able to build up resources, but to really understand that everything began with me. And I had this ability to transform and it's a development. I had to develop it. That's what I write about in, in my books is about how to develop that ability 
to let your masterpiece express itself, to let that potential, to develop that potential. And it's through, and it's through the adversity where there's a sense of urgency where we actually, where I actually learned, like my butt was on fire. I call it AOF, but it was, you know, I didn't have any other way. I had to figure out how to deal with pain without payments, how to, how to relate to my life in a way where I was, I was creating some peace and some understanding so that I could live more gracefully and more joyfully, even though at the time that wasn't what I was, what I was focused on. I was focused on getting out of the hell, uh, the internal hell that I had, um, based on, you know, my conditioning and how, how I was relating to things and finding myself, you know, with a, with a poor attitude, you know, not just being, you know, negative, but it's feeling like this is all there is. This is my life. And, and, until I was shown that, no, well, that that's, it's not what happens to you is how you respond and react to what happens to you. So I was very fortunate. I got into a stress management course top, um, by John Borisinko. Uh, it was a study, actually. It was a um, advanced group. So we had a, you know, spit and, 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 you know, give them urine samples so they can do pre-post testing. But it was really this amazing idea of, we call it the four, fourth, four species, you know, the commitment to growth and seeing life as, a, you know, seeing these adverse situations, moments as challenges. And the fact was that I could control my reaction or my response to things, especially when I started to understand this mind-body process. I'd say the whole person, the body, mind, heart, and soul or spirit are, are one. And so this idea of showing up, of embracing my greatness or saying, okay, here's something in front of me. Here's an opportunity for me to learn and interpret it in a way that empowers and inspires me to move forward and then to actually share that with others so that they can, they can do the same, that they, they can come to the realization that they have this greatness within them that can be developed, that can be accessed and that when we can access it and express it in, in, in a helpful way and the way for the greatest good or highest good, it's an, it's a wonderful life. I find it so interesting. You say that some of the same feelings you experienced using drugs, you've the high, let's say, you've been able to achieve through meditation. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So I, I want to just talk about meditation for a minute because we have this idea of navel gazing or, you know, and I, I surely had this idea of meditation is this thing where you just go and, and be quiet. But the way that I learned it and the way I think of meditation the word meditation, if you look it up, it says it means to contemplate. And to contemplate means to look at repeatedly and to look at closely. So theoretically, we're meditating all day long. Like I said, we become what we think about. So the, the, the practice of meditation is seeking to understand things or, or to cultivate wisdom. But it's also to understand that the best way to live is to have a way where we're living in a non-harmful, you know, like goodwill coming from love, compassion inclusion, joy, that that we're living that way. But for me, it's it's not just sitting and being with ourselves because what happens, why meditation is really important or just being able to cultivate some stillness or some quietude is that, you know, if you think about it, and this is, I learned this stuff. I mean, I've been reading over a book a week for the last 39, almost 38, almost 39 years, but I was actually reading before that. 
is just to realize that the self-regulation is really important and our ability to get out of the fight, flight, and freeze and into the rest and digest or to be in a learning mode or to be at in a way where we, we can be alert and relaxed. We can observe our experience in a way where where we're not reacting all of the time. So we have so meditation for me is 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 from the time I wake up to the time I go to sleep, just being aware, even if it's just roughly aware, what am I thinking? How am I feeling? How am I seeing things? And so I go to the philosopher Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and one of their hip hop songs where they say I have my mind on money and money on my mind. That's a form of meditation. That's a form of contemplation. Yet we don't know we're doing it. And so the first thing is to be aware of what we're holding in mind. What are we thinking? What are we feeling? What are we behaving? What belief systems are operating uh, consciously or unconsciously that are programming us to see things in certain ways and and to be limited and to be kind of locked up for it um, and hindered because we don't know. It's like walking in the fog. We can't see clearly. We don't know where we're going. We're just kind of figuring out, stumbling along. And so meditation to me is, is, is a practice of not just being in silence, but also relating to each other in ways that are loving and compassionate where we get beyond the illusion of separateness. So my definition of meditation is much bigger than what people typically say. So we're meditating all the time, whether we want to admit it or not. And we, this is what we do as human beings. We, we come up with language, we come up with ways of being or culture that really locks us in or hinders us. Because we say, oh, meditation is, oh, I meditate today because I, you know, I sat quietly for 10 minutes, five minutes or 20 minutes, and I was just being with myself. Of course, we need to do that to regulate the, the, the autonomic and the, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. We need to get out of the left brain that's, that's linear. We need to have some nonlinear experience. We need to be able to be still so that our left, I'm right-handed, so my right brain with the intuition seeing the bigger picture, I have access to that, the wisdom. But if I'm going all the time, one plus one equals two, and I'm dominating it, the right brain doesn't get access until I can be still, where I can just uh, regulate myself, where I'm not all in the action field, I'm not all in the linear field, but there's a non-linear universe as well as linear. And that's what I had to learn. So being quiet, and I might be doing some stretching or running or, or just sitting quietly and just drinking a cup of tea or just reading some inspirational stuff in the morning. We have to have a way to be with ourselves so we know how we're feeling. We know what's going on in our body. We have to have that contemplation. At some point, we have to have that stillness. We have to have access to it. Our nervous system requires that. You describe yourself and, and also Kobe Bryant as being single-minded with unwavering focus. I mean, you're a high-performing individual. What if I'm not that way? Can I learn to be? Yes. So thank you for asking that, because that's my conditioning. That's my uniqueness. That's what resonates with me. You have to understand, I, I would read, but not at that level. But when I got into recovery, I gave myself permission to read something until I understood it. Before I'd read it once and I didn't understand it fine. And I was, I'm a seeker. I was seeking, I was pursuing excellence and wisdom, not with grace and ease, but I have the grace and ease now. But before I was just, you know, it was like, as it was a thirst and a hunger. I just wanted to understand. 
I want it to be intellectually stimulated. That's my conditioning. Everybody else is going to have theirs. So all I'm all I'm representing is that potentiality being able to express itself, but it's telling me through, you know, on the inside. That's another reason that you get. I got to spend time with myself and be away from others so that I'm not being so influenced by the environment or other people to the degree that I'm not being myself. I'm not being authentic. I'm not listening to that still small voice inside that's easy to block out. And so for everybody, you got to see, this is what I help people do. No, you can't be like George or Kobe, whatever. You got to just be who you are. So you might be more laid back where maybe you don't read a book a week, but maybe you write poetry or maybe you, you get into art or maybe you just like engaging people and helping people. So that's the thing. You got to find out what it is for you. And that's an inside job. There's a multiplicity of intelligences. And for me, I'm kinesthetic. That's my go-to. I feel things. Some people are visual. Some people are auditory. We have to discover that. I had to discover how I learn, how I perform. We all don't perform and learn the same way. That's something we have to get in touch with and discover for ourselves, even though there's others that, that we can emulate. But at, the end of, but at the end of the day, we have to be authentically who we are and sincerely who we are. And that's a process of becoming that, that changes all the time. But from moment to moment, we have the opportunity to be really honest about how we're feeling and what we're seeing and how we're, we're relating to the world or what I said earlier, what is our mind on? What thoughts are we thinking? What feelings are we experiencing? What behaviors are we engaged in? And so we have to have a true north. We have to have core values and we have to have a worthy cause or, or have to get to a place. I was just reading, think, remembering Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, you got food and shelter and then this idea of belonging and, you know, wanting to be accepted and appreciated and approved by others. But then we get to that place where meaning and purpose is, is really important because we've got our other needs met. And so now there's the thing about meaning and purpose, but I was reading a book and it's talking about the young folks get there sooner. So they want meaning and purpose now. So they don't want to work on the assembly line and get paid a lot of money. They want, uh, and Gladwell talked about this. We want, I won't say they, we want meaningful work, autonomy, complexity, and getting the rewards of our, of our effort, you know, it's a fair exchange. You know, I'm giving you my effort. I'm giving you my creativity. I'm giving you all that I have. And in return, there has to be some reciprocity. You can't just go to the stockholders and then I'm not getting paid. So meaningful work, that's what people want. Autonomy, complexity, which means they want something that's going to force them to grow and evolve. There's something about the joyful journey of discovery especially the most important journey I've had is getting to know myself better. And we can get into what does that mean? What that means is I'm a spiritual being or I'm trying to relate to people in a way where there's harmony and I'm seeing beyond the illusion of separateness. I'm being able to see that I have a whole body, the mind, body, heart, and soul, and the body and the mind are one. They're not separated. But at the same time, I'm in a network of relationships. And how am I relating in a way where I learned this in kindergarten that you treat people the way you want to be treated. You see them as you see them as having the same potential you have. They may not be able to express it, but the potential is there. What keeps you feeling hopeful and optimistic? What keeps me hopeful is this idea that we have a masterpiece within, 
and we can and we can self-regulate and we can transform we can be confronted by roadblocks and we can use them as stepping stones and so this is what i've been doing for almost 39 years maybe before that but since recovery and i feel more enthusiasm and excited about life than i ever have but i understand you know this barbara Fredrickson she talks about um, the broad and build theory. And so for me, my own experiences, I'm on this joyful journey of self-discovery of discovery. I'm pursuing excellence and wisdom with grace and ease. I mean, I'm doing what I was put here to do. I'm being myself, being sincere and being a service. So what keeps me helpful is I was a dope fiend. I was a drug addict. You might say one minute I could be in a shooting gallery or a crack house. and then. It feels like the next moment I'm sitting behind the bench of an NBA team where I'm engaging with people talking about this thing called life in a way that generates enthusiasm. I would say energizing enthusiasm and that I'm learning and I can learn to the, to the day I die. So I'm living in joy. I say joy now or never. And so I'm, I'm not hopeful because I'm hoping for things. I'm hopeful because I know how to be in the moment and I have access to my greatness. I've embraced my greatness. I'm finding the flow and I'm discovering success. Your book is called Unlocked, Embrace Your Greatness, Find the Flow, Discover Success. George Mumford, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I think your book is something that's going to stick with me for quite a while. Thank you, Marion. For more about this episode, go to lifespeak.com slash podcast.